Good morning. Matthew 10, 24 through 33 from the LSB. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for an Assyrian? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, if you've not done so already, please turn to Matthew 10, and we'll um, seek to understand those verses that were just read uh, with God's help. And uh, I want to just acknowledge, as you as you as you heard those very um, sobering words from our King, from Jesus, um, you, you you might have thought to yourself, well, why would why would Christians in in our day and age uh, need the, the caution, uh, the encouragement, not once, but, but three times just in that short passage um, to hear from our Lord, do not fear, do not fear. I, I mean, in, in America today, where we have so much liberty, uh, where we have uh, so much freedom of expression, um, d- does a Christian really have cause uh, to fear anything related to being identified with Jesus Christ. Maybe this is one of those areas in Matthew 10 where, you know, the pastor told us there's descriptive truth that describes something in history, uh, but then there's prescriptive truth that is truth for us to grab hold of uh, today. Uh, maybe this is simply descriptive of first century Christi- Christians, and in particular the apostles. I want to remind us that Jesus speaks of very specific kinds of fears to very specific kinds of people in the verses you've just heard read. We will not relate at all to this command, do not fear, uh, beyond the, the academic sense anyway, unless we truly grasp what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice with me in verse 24, Jesus gives us a definition. He, his, his followers are disciples. And a, and a disciple is what? A disciple is a, is a learner. A disciple is a student. Uh, but, but we can't go to our 
sort of Western mindset of what that looks like when we think of a student, we think of someone sitting in a classroom, you know, maybe someone taking notes and someone who perhaps will be quizzed or tested, you know, you know down the road. That, that's really not what Jesus is talking about here at all. Uh, in the Jewish sense, a disciple is someone who not only listens to the teacher, the rabbi, uh, but walks alongside the teacher in daily life, learns to think like the rabbi, uh, learns to speak like the rabbi, um, uh, learns to even act like the rabbi in uh, the, the minute details of everyday life. So a Christian, a disciple, is not someone who lives a religious but, but self-directed life. A Christian is someone whose mind is subordinate to the mind of Christ. To what extent? To the extent that he or she imitates Christ in real life. That's a disciple. In fact, the word Christian simply means little Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. After the uh, resurrection and the ascension, the enthronement of Jesus as king, um, as the gospel of kingdom of the kingdom was being proclaimed, um, Luke tells us in Acts uh, chapter six that the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to multiply greatly in Jerusalem. And, and I think it's noteworthy that Luke does not say that the number of church attenders grew. He doesn't say that the number of people who, who prayed a sinner's prayer grew. Nor does he say that the, the, the number of decisions for Christ grew. No, that the number of those who actually repented of their sins and began to live in allegiance to Christ as king, that number, the number of disciples, grew. So says Jesus, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. A disciple is to Jesus as a slave is to a master. A slave does not have uh, his own agenda to live by. Uh, a slave uh, lives by the agenda of another. And Christ our benevolent king who, who came into this world that he might die for his people, the scripture says, has, has purchased his own with his shed blood. Amen? Amen. He, he's our master. We, we've been bought with a price. A Christian then is someone whose will is subordinate to the will of Christ, just like a slave. <laughs> So, so what does it mean then to, to, to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to be a disciple? It's to do with the, your mind. It's to do with your will. Combine those two statements that I just gave you and, and, you, and you see that Jesus is reminding us this morning that a Christian is a person whose mind and will are actually subordinate to the mind of will and will of Christ as king. Now, why do I belabor this? Because we will not understand this command and encouragement, do not fear, um, if we don't understand rightly what it even is to be a Christian. Just calling yourself a Christian in our culture um, will likely not cause you much trouble at all. It's being one. 
That's the issue. And now we'll begin the message. This command, uh, do not fear, is not given then to, to men and women whose minds and wills are uh, unsurrendered to Christ. Um, someone who merely professes uh, Christ but neither thinks nor acts like Christ. Um, has that, that person has little reason to fear anything in our culture. In fact, if you, if you blend in with the world uh, rather than stand out in the world, didn't Jesus say something about salt, light, um, you'll, you'll not experience what Christ experienced from the world. And so I, I, I don't mean to belabor that, but just to maybe give us a little bit of a reality check if we think, you know, at first blush, well, what, what do we have to fear really here in, in America in our generation? Jesus is now speaking in Matthew 10 to his true followers, his, his disciples, his bond slaves. And he says, it is enough for the disciple, verse 25, it is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. Listen, are you becoming more and more like Jesus? You have a sense of that? Does your conscience testify that by God's grace you think and speak and live in such a way that you are subservient to Christ in the way that you do your job, the, the way that you raise your kids, uh, the, the way that you manage his money, um, the way you relate to parents, the way you function as a member of, of his body, the church, then what Jesus says here about the cost of discipleship is absolutely for you because you already know all about the high cost that is often paid by those who follow Jesus in a world that hates Jesus. And Christ calls his followers to courage here, not fear. Look at verse 25 again. He says, if they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Beelzebul or Beelzebub. Um, Baal, as you may know, was a, was a Canaanite god. Uh, to the Jews, uh, the, the, world became, the word became synonymous with um, Satan, literally Lord of the Flies on the refuge pile, the refuse pile, the, the, the Lord of the Flies on, on a pile of, of dung. It was about the worst thing you could say about another image bearer of God. And, and it, was, it, was, it was absolutely blasphemy for the Jewish religious leaders to hurl this malicious insult at God the eternal son as he demonstrated his authority over all things on planet earth. But they did that. And so here, here's a sobering reminder. Do, do you belong to this Jesus? Is Christ your master? The one who's thinking and speaking and living you now imitate. Are you a member of his household uh, the household of God, that, that, then you can, you can be sure of this. There will be times when you, as a disciple, will be targeted with lies and insults from those who are apart from Christ. Don't be shocked by that. Don't be scandalized by that. And, and, and don't think at first blush that, that you've done something wrong, necessarily. 
as they treated your master, so they will treat you. And whatever you do, says the king to his people, do not be afraid of it. Verse 26, therefore, do not fear them. First of three times, Jesus says, do not fear. I'm thinking this whole passage must have something to do with not being afraid. You will be called an extremist. You will be called a hardliner. You will be called radical. You will be called evil and much worse simply because you think and speak and live as a slave to the king of kings. Do not fear. Do not fear in the midst of that. The, 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 you're still listening. That, that, that word translated fear, uh, phobeo, um, gives us the English word phobia. I wonder how many of you have a phobia. I do. Um, you know, some of you have arachnophobia. You're afraid of... Spiders, right? See, see, you do have phobias, don't you? Um, how, how about claustrophobia? I mean, there, there's a reason some of you sit on the, the aisle. I'm just saying. And, I, and I'm right there with you. Um, fear of, of small spaces. I, I know somebody who's afraid of bananas. And I, I don't even know what you would call that. It's like a fruitophobia or something like that. Uh, but, but I know it's a real thing because I have a fear of heights. I mean, I, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I have been stuck on the roof of a, of a small one-story home, um, too afraid to step off the roof onto the ladder I used myself to get up there. <laughs> I had to text my son, who had great fun with that. Um, but, but, and, and, it's, and it's kind of, you, you can't will yourself out of a phobia, can you? It is what it is. If you have a phobia, that kind of fear, you have an anxiety, you have an apprehension of something that actually controls your behavior. That's the issue. You know, pay attention now because we're going in a direction, okay? The command, do not fear, is not telling you to not feel feelings of, of apprehension. Um, don't, don't think that if you feel anxious about something, um, that you are outside of God's will, you're, you're somehow a weak, inferior Christian, um, you're not a Christian at all. Fear, how many of you know fear is actually natural and normal? Uh, when you feel fear, you are human. Um, fear of being shamed, fear, fear of being singled out, uh, fear of, uh, of being hurt, emotionally and certainly physically um, is, is normal to, to, to feel apprehensive about those things. Jesus is commanding his disciples not to be controlled by those feelings. In, in the face of persecution, don't let that, that, that feeling of apprehension control you so, so that you shrink back. Your king will give you grace to think and speak and live as his servant even in the face of those feelings of fear. Your king will give you grace to imitate him. So don't shrink back as his witnesses like, like you would when you see a spider. You know, don't avoid representing Jesus 
like you might avoid getting up on that roof that's in need of repair. I don't know what to do with the bananas other, other, other than to say perhaps this, you know, we are meant to enjoy the blessed life that our king has for his people, um, but, but just know that you do so in a world that hates your king. You, you do so in a world that has placed a bullseye oftentimes on those who are imitators of King Jesus. Do not be afraid. Don't be controlled by your fears. As, as the early church grew, um, so did opposition to the gospel of the kingdom, um, slander, beatings, imprisonment. And nonetheless, Luke says, he, the, the believers did what? Acts 5 says this, they went on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name, the name of Jesus. And they did not cease teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. There, there is the, the power of the Holy Spirit at, at work in the lives of, of Jesus' disciples, Jesus' bond slaves, if you will, so that the, the, any feelings of, of, of apprehension uh, in, in bearing witness for Christ are overridden by the king's enablement. Now, I want you to notice with me that, that Jesus does not uh, simply issue the command, do not be afraid, and, and leave it at that. He comforts his disciples with, with a comfort that will calm their fears. Look at verse 26. He says, for there is nothing concealed uh, that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Do you guys mind if this is practical for just a minute? Most of the criticism that Jesus received when he walked this earth was not from um, overtly worldly, overtly um, sinful people. It, it was from church people. It, it was from religious people. In particular, the Jewish religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. The most intense criticism Jesus received um, was, was from people who named God but did not love God and certainly did not live for God. And so it will be for his followers. Do we not see in our day still denominations splitting over things that we never thought would split denominations? Because you go way back when and you see that particular de denomination was anchored in the truth of God's word. And what happened? There's a faction of that denomination that is no longer anchored to the truth of God's word. And now there isn't just an inability to function together there is actual malice. There is actual animosity among those who really don't know the king toward those who really do know the king and want to follow him. Other professing Christians in the, in the community may well be the ones calling you extreme and closed-minded and legalistic and backward and uninformed and harsh. Um, I, I, I dare say that, that, that there, was a, there was a bit of this going on during COVID. Do you remember COVID? Yes. Did you hear about that? Um, 
you know, you, you, you Christians who insist on gathering as, as the Lord commands, I read that somewhere, um, you must not care about other people. Well, there's always the danger of these things becoming practical, right? Jesus says, be sure of this, the, 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 the posers in his day, he wants his men to know, he wants the apostles to know, one day will be unveiled for who they really are. And as it turns out, your true heart toward Jesus will also be unveiled one day. What is private and unknown about you and those who insult you and harm you as a follower of Christ, um, one day will be known by all. In other words, nobody gets away with anything in God's economy. Aren't you glad for this? You don't have to sweat and worry that somebody got away with something. That is just not so, though you may feel it at times. What a, what a comfort this is to the people of God. We, we can rest in knowing that our king keeps close, accurate accounts and richly rewards his own. And he alone is able to mete out justice to such a degree that you and I don't have to be overly concerned about that. Look what this comfort to Christ's disciples enables. Look at verse 27. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. It, it is essential and it's inescapable uh, that a disciple will bear witness to Jesus. Um, and this, this duty of loyalty to Christ overrides the natural reluctance to experience shame and scorn, and, and even worse, hostility. Many of you here, I know, have experienced this. You, you, you've felt the pushback, and yet there is a stronger love that overrides that natural self-protective love of self, and it, it's your love for Christ. And so, so you'll not shrink back. You, you'll not hesitate to speak up. When the Lord gives you that opportunity, light exposes darkness, does it not? We're to shine the light of God's truth into a sin-stained culture. Um, that will be noticed. As the Holy Spirit prompts us in the privacy of conscience in that that conversation or that interaction with a coworker or a family member so that, so that we know we're to bear witness in that moment. Um, let, let that witness be heard. Don't shrink back, Jesus says. And by the way, we, we don't want to forget the context here. Back in verse 16, Jesus said, uh, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. In other, in other words, we as disciples are meant to be wise. We're not to seek out scorn. We're not to provoke hostility, you know, kind of play the martyr in that way. Um, but, but with the wisdom of God, we pick our battles and, and we know that to live holy, uh, gentle lives, um, not, not with a swagger, um, a demeanor that in and of itself is offensive, uh, no, just, just the gospel life itself 
the kingdom-centered life itself so often will give offense. Have you noticed that? Those who tell you that your allegiance to Jesus has no place in the realm of education, no place in the realm of government or politics or the workplace are, are sadly misinformed. You don't check your Christianity at the door of, of some sphere of humanity. Amen? Amen? Occasionally when you're in agreement, nod your head or something. <laughs> it gives tremendous encouragement to the person standing up here. All right. Verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Wow. You know, a, few, a few years ago, I, I was blessed to um, spend some time with uh, one of our ministry partners in Kathmandu, uh, Nepal. And he actually was from, from India, but he, he serves in Nepal as well. And um, he was explaining to me how, how the churches in, in northern India at that time, this was 2019, I think, um, were, were trying to figure out how, as, as, as groups of churches, uh, they could take care of the widows and children of pastors who get arrested and killed by Hindu extremists. And um, four men on his team in Uttar Pradesh, the, the, the state in India that would include Delhi, um, had been martyred that year. And not one of those murders got a headline. Not one of them was on Twitter. Um, it, it was not an everyday thing, but it was frequent enough that the church members felt they needed to be organized somehow to support the families uh, that remained when pastors were arrested or even killed. Um, and so you just got to realize, one, how blessed are we to not be dealing with such things in our land? Uh, but, but the blood of the martyrs um, has long been uh, what the Lord has been pleased to use to water his church as the gospel is proclaimed around the world. Uh, this is not just an ancient thing. It, it, it's happening yet today. And in the moments before their deaths, before their arrests, those pastors in India uh, received grace from God not to be controlled by their uh, very natural fear of man. It, it is normal to fear uh, and want to avoid being shamed, uh, mocked, lied about. E even worse, nobody likes that. There's something wrong with you if you, if you skip into that. Um, is it normal to fear even death? Of course. We've not died before. We've not done that one. And, and so there, there's a mystery to that, isn't there? And, and what overwhelms and overrides this very natural fear even fear of death itself, Jesus says to these future martyrs, many of them, um, is the absolute surety that, that, that the real you, the soul, lives on after your body perishes and you enter into the presence of your king. Anybody looking forward to that? I don't mean the death part. I mean the, the presence of Jesus part. Of course we do. Christ's enemies could not end him. 
He lives on. And he's defeated death for his people. And he's coming again to rule and reign over all things bodily, physically, tangibly with his people. And then this is always the future we're, we're meant to be living toward. The Apostle Paul told the church of Corinth, he said, we are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. That, that was not a death wish. That was not some morbid thing. It was just the acknowledgement that physical death for the disciple is simply the gateway to eternal life. Getting through the gate, obviously we're a bit apprehensive about that. But death itself, Jesus says, need not debilitate you with that fear. Instead, be emboldened by another kind of fear. Be emboldened by the one fear that God actually commends to his people. Think about this. The Jesus who says, don't be afraid, fear not, fear not, fear not, commends a certain fear to his people. Here is a fear that you're meant to be controlled by. Still in verse 28, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God, not people. Fear God. What, what is this, this fear of God? It's all over the Bible. We need to know what that means. The Proverbs tell us that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. That This is the best life God has for his people. The fear of the Lord is, is actually the responsibility of all humanity. Did you know that? Uh, but it is what is lost because of sin. Sin's curse distorts this fear of God, this reverence for God, and replaces it with fear of man. I mean, how else would you possibly explain a culture like ours that is absolutely obsessed with not offending anybody and therefore being okay with the worst kinds of things you don't hear of too many people being concerned about fearing God, offending God. What is this fear of God? Listen to Deuteronomy 10. So now, Israel, what does Yahweh your God ask from you? But to fear Yahweh your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of Yahweh and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Don't miss that last part. So the fear of the Lord is what? To know him. Do you know God? to love him, to serve him, to obey him, to revere him, and yes, even to enjoy him, the God who created you for that relationship, for that very purpose. So, so the fear of man is the aroma of sin's curse. It's the opposite of what we were actually created for. 
And I suppose you could shorten that up just a little bit and say a proper fear of God then displaces the, the debilitating fear of man. What is the fear of man? Well, it's, you know, we would, you and I will do almost anything not to feel shame. That's why so many of us are pretending to be people we're not. What displaces that natural fear of shame, of ridicule, and, and much, much worse, perhaps? Well, it's, it's, it's the right heart orientation toward God. And Jesus reminds his, his first listeners here, but also us, that, that, that men and women who fear him are, are more than, than just a, a, a physical body. Um, the, the material, physical part of you, for now, houses the immaterial part of you, your soul, so, 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 that, so that your whole person is both body and soul. So Christians, listen, the, the, the physical death that awaits you. I mean, isn't it interesting that we live in a culture that will do almost anything it can think of to not have to talk about death? We've come up with a thousand other words for it. We, we deny that it's going to happen. And all of this is happening in a world in which there is a 100% death rate. I would submit to you that that's odd. That's odd behavior. Christians, listen, the physical death that awaits you, however it comes, is but momentary. Your soul lives on. Amen. Jesus said to that thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. The scripture says a resurrection awaits you who are in Christ and you'll be given a new body fit for eternity. Wow. But listen, those of you who are apart from Christ, those of you who are here this day whose, whose minds are not subordinate to the mind of Christ, who, who, whose wills will not bend to the will of Christ as king. Uh, Be sure of this, friend. Uh, The death that awaits your soul is eternal. And it's irreversible in hell. And you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I, I didn't come here to be talked to like that. Do you know Jesus said an awful lot about hell? Why, why would he do that? Because the king has come. And he stepped into this cesspool of humanity that we live in. Sinners, all of us. For the express purpose of doing everything necessary. That you need not face hell. And, and, and how did Jesus do that? Well, he's come to save his people from their sins, hasn't he? He's come to live the perfect, holy, God-loving life that you have not lived. And he's come to die the only death that would atone for all of your sins. Mine too. And he's risen again in the power of an endless life and he shares this victory over sin and sin's death with the likes of us. This is the scandal of the gospel. Do you know God in this way? Because you trust 
in God the Son, in that way. This word hell here in, in verse 28, the, the Greek word Gehenna um, has, has sort of interesting origins. The, 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 the name for the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem uh, that, that burned endlessly. I mean, just think of all the dead animals in a city are thrown there. All of the disgusting things that we count as rubbish are, are thrown in there. And, and the fire of Hinnom, the valley of Hinnom, Gehinnom, burned endlessly. The fires were, were never extinguished. And you can imagine among God's people, the Jews, Gehenna became synonymous with this place of eternal conscious punishment of the wicked reserved for those who reject the Messiah. So the word destroy in verse 28, please do not think that that means annihilation. And people sometimes say that about hell. Well, that's not so bad. I'll just cease to exist. No, friend, you will not. You will not cease to exist. You will experience for eternity the punishment that your sin deserves. The fear or reverence of the God who is able to send the soul into eternal condemnation is what Jesus is is talking about here. Listen to Revelation 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will never be hurt by the second death. The, the eternal death, the, the, the death of, of eternal punishment, judgment in hell. How do you overcome the certainty of this second death? Because the scripture says you've actually been born on your way to that death. Apart from grace, uh, that is your destiny. Well, think of what Paul says to the Romans. The, the wages of sin is death, not, not physical death, eternal death as well. But. But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You say, what do I do with that? Repent. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And you say, well, I've heard this before. I'm not asking if you heard it. Have you done it? Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their witness and they did not love their life even to death. What an amazing thing it is to have been so captured by the love of God as an undeserving creature, um, so captivated by the love of God and what is given through the shed blood of the Lamb who is Jesus, that um, how, how can we not use our words to bear witness for him? How could we possibly love this life that is as a vapor, the Scripture says, more than the life we have in Christ? Well, Jesus, God's anointed King, offers this comfort to his people knowing that they will suffer as he suffered.
But I want you to notice with me that this is not, it's not just the certainty of heaven that displaces this fear of man. It's, it's God's actual care and concern for his people. Do you realize that God cares for you more than you care about yourself? Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for an Assyrian? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. You know, I, I, I did this thing yesterday with my son. I call it hiking with a gun. And um, other, other people call it hunting, but that's really not normally relevant for us. Um, and somehow we managed to be out in the most beautiful, woodsy place around here and uh, saw not a single deer. Now, I almost hit two of them on Government Way <laughs> Thursday on my way to the church. Uh, but, but, but what we did see, what we did see, all kinds of sparrows and little chickadees and all kinds of little tweety birds. I don't know what they're called. And, um, and, 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 it, and, I, and I was so annoyed by that because you're trying to be quiet and hear these birds are all over the place. And, and I thought, my goodness, those... Those little birds don't have a care in the world. They're, they're just so happy. They, they can't help but sing. Small birds like that were among the cheapest, least significant animals you could buy for offering in the temple. And yet Jesus says not one sparrow is forgotten by God. Not one sparrow is uncared for by God. Your heavenly Father has an intimate knowledge of you and a concern for you. He's numbered the hairs on your head. You've not done that. You've lost track of the ones that have fallen off your head, probably. I know I have. But we've not numbered the hairs on our head. God has. God has. How can you not live with courage in a world that hates Jesus when you know that nothing happens to you, whether it's ridicule, shaming, malice, unfairness, even death itself, nothing happens to you outside the sovereign control of God uh, who loves and cares more about you as his child than you care for yourself. So what do I do with all this? How do, how, how do we end this thing? Do not fear when they lie and defame you. Uh, do not fear when they threaten you or, or even seek to kill you, Jesus says to his men uh, and to us today. Do not fear as if your father does not know about it or care about it. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. Listen, that, that word confess Acknowledge, we, we need to squeeze that a little bit. In light of the culture we live in where everybody is a Christian and if you're an American, you're a Christian and all of that kind of stupidity going on in our culture, what does it mean to confess, to acknowledge Jesus? It speaks of bearing witness in a manner that is accessible to, that's observable to others. Quick example, baptism is a public profession 
of repentance and allegiance to Jesus. It, it, it's, it's accessible. It's, a, it's observable to others. And it, it may be that there are some here this morning. You're, you name Christ, but you're yet to take that observable step of obedience to the Lord in baptism. And, and you might just ask yourself, um, what's the holdup? But Jesus is not referring here primarily to a, a, a one-time witness like baptism. He's, he's reminding us this morning that the, the, this lifestyle of silent, unnoticeable, undercover Christianity that is common in the world today is not Christianity. That's not what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus promises eternal blessing to those whose fear of the Lord empowers them to suffer however God's providence allows. Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, friends. He said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. The believer is always living toward the finish line. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, trembling before man brings a snare, but he who trusts in Yahweh will be set securely on high. When, when we fear what other people think about us, Christians, when we, when we fear what other people say about us um, because of our allegiance to our king, we, we may well be tempted to shrink back. We, we, we may well be tempted to, to sort of become closet Christians. Um, don't do that, says the king. Do not fear, says Jesus to his own. Be controlled by the reality that you will openly be named among God's people forever in heaven. So Jesus says, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. I mean, it's almost as if the Lord is reminding his first followers, you know what, whose measure ultimately matters to you? Is it, is it the world's measure of you? Or, or is it God's measure of you? Disciples must choose whose solidarity they prefer. James 4.4 4 says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. I mean, think of, think of what, a, what a sobering warning that is. You know, trying to please both, you know, trying to fit in in both, in both arenas. Um, James says, um, well, you're, you're basically just making yourself an enemy of God. You know, what, what fellowship has light with darkness? They, they don't go together. And so says our king, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. And you might think to yourself, um, well, wait a minute, because I, I seem to have read somewhere that Peter denied Jesus. In, in fact, I seem to have read somewhere that Peter denied Jesus three times after being told ahead of time that he was going to do it three times. Um, but you realize Peter also repented of that denial 
And then as a man indwelt by the Spirit of God, um, he openly and publicly served Christ so much so that he was eventually martyred. So Jesus is referring her in Matthew 10 not to the disciple who, who, who falters, no, who, who, who wavers, but to the one whose true allegiance never belonged to the Lord in the first place. And again, um, among the 12, remember, is Judas, that guy. Well, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that this command, do not fear, is followed by such amazing comfort to your people. Lord, to think that your blood-bought people would, would ever lack anything from you is a weakness we have to confess at times. I thank you, Jesus, for your sufficiency to bring your people through the hard things that the world subjects your people to. And Lord, when your providence ordains such occasions, Lord, I pray that we would sing <laughs> like those sparrows you care so much about. Lord, that we would be a people who do not shrink back when we feel the weight of the world's disapproval. But Lord, we would trust in you. And Lord, we would continue to function as your witnesses, that it would please you, Lord, as your children are the very fragrance of your nature in our community. And we pray this, Jesus.